This episode is made possible by Armoire. I love genius companies founded by women, and Armoire is one of them. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days, and then when you're ready for new clothes, you just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. To me, Armoire Armoire solves so many issues I struggle with today, the biggest one being accumulation of stuff. Let's face it, women want to feel on trend and fresh in their clothes, so we like to shop for new clothes often. But I also get overwhelmed when I have too much to choose from, which happens after years of shopping. I forget what clothes I have and I end up wearing the same thing over and over. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion and then send it back. Whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to brave a department store fitting room with those unflattering fluorescent lights again. Trust me, your overly cramped closet and the environment will thank you. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Welcome to The Heal Podcast. I'm Kelly Noonan-Gores, and every week I speak to the leading doctors, healers, spiritual teachers, and scientists to find out what is truly possible when it comes to healing. I also interview real people with extraordinary healing stories. My philosophy is what's possible for one is possible for all. Hey everyone, and welcome to The Heal Podcast. Today's conversation is a powerful one. It's about healing the planet, healing our soil, healing our degenerative societal systems, which will result in healing our bodies and minds. Talk about getting to the root cause. This conversation is about looking to our indigenous past for a regenerative future. And I am honored to be sitting with Natalie Kelly, an actress of Quechua descent and a lover of soil, fungi, and our beautiful world. As an actress, she most recently starred in the number one Netflix series, The Baker and the Beauty, as well as the Fast and the Furious movie series. Natalie has a background in policy and social science, and she strives to tell stories that educate and inspire people. She is on the boards of both Kiss the Ground and the Fungi Foundation, using her platform to elevate indigenous wisdom and technologies as a means of coming back into justice and harmony with our ecosystems. She is in deep devotion and service to the entire web of life, advocating in particular for the health of our soil, water, the fungi, and the forests. Her mission is the preservation of biodiversity, including cultural and mycodiversity on the planet. She is beautiful inside and out, and as you will learn, a warrior of sorts. Natalie, welcome to the Heal Podcast. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here, and thank you for making the time and space for me, Kelly. I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you. I am a huge fan of yours as well, and I, I just I listen to your background and, and everything that you've done and accomplished, and your passion is so palpable, and um, I just want to share 
you know, I w- would love you to share what what turned you on to this mission that you're mm-hmm. so deeply involved in, and I'm just in awe of how much you're able to accomplish. Well, um, a few years ago, uh, I watched the Fantastic Fungi movie, <laughs> like you and like uh, a lot of other people probably listening to this podcast, and that was the movie that really opened my eyes to the this incredible story of fungi, and. I'm a sucker for like untold stories or like mysteries and for me that the the kingdom or queendom of fungi is this like is this underdog among all the other kingdoms and its story has not really been told properly and want to give gratitude here to Louis Schwartzberg a former guest here on your podcast for really doing such a credible service to the kingdom of fungi in bringing them to life in the way that he did through his amazing cinematography, through profiling the incredible mycologist Paul Stamets, um, and kind of inviting us into this mysterious and truly fantastic world. And so I was, um, the term we use is sparrelated, (laughs) completely sparrelated by that movie. And it started to make me realize like, wow, like I didn't realize I was such a fan of fungi, but I've actually received incredible healing through certain fungi like psilocybin. I have, um, I appreciate the way that fungi has brought us so many of the foods and drinks that we enjoy today. Um, I, I have, I, I'm aware that fungi make such a huge part of like our, our inner makeup and our biology. And now I'm aware that there's there this huge part of soil health, which was something that I started to get, get to get into a few years ago too. And so I reached out and I said, I love this story. Like, can I help you tell this story in any way? Do you need support? And um, I was lucky enough to be put in touch with Juliana Furti, who is the foundress of the Fungi Foundation. Mm. Um, she founded it over 15 years ago in Chile. And uh, an incredible, I mean, she's the Jane Goodall of fungi. Mm. She's, I mean, she has been doing this work tirelessly and pretty much thanklessly for the last 15 years. And the movie just kind of catapulted her and the world of fungi into mainstream consciousness. And I was one of those people that, you know, like was, um, like I said, sparrelated. And she said, you know, we've been waiting for people like you to come in and ask to help because we really need the storytellers. Because I said, here's the thing, I really want to help, but I don't know much about mycology. (laughs) I'm not a scientist, but I can spin a story. And she said, that's exactly what we need because the fungi, the the fantastic fungi movie definitely um, opened everybody's eyes to this fantastic world, but there are more stories to tell. And a lot of them involve the fact that the fungi actually need our help, Mm. you know? So there's all this talk around how fungi can heal us we live in a world where these healers need healing and need help. Um, fungi, as you know, are a kingdom just like plants and animals. And as Louis mentioned, there's, um, I think, six times more fungal species than even plants. And it's the forgotten kingdom. It's the forgotten kingdom. We know flora and fauna. We've never been taught about fungi. And it's the oldest and it's the biggest. Exactly. And without it, our world wouldn't survive. There would be no plants and no animals. And so she woke me up to the fact that fungi is not only majorly under 
represented in the conservation world, even in terms of inclusivity of language. People always say flora and fauna, but where's the fungi? Mm -hmm. And that's part of what the Fungi Foundation's mission is, is to just start with the language. Like, mm -hmm. let's even get included, just name it. You right. Know? Um, but then the fact that we are losing potentially thousands of species of fungi a day. And we only have documented five to ten percent. Mm. Five to ten percent of all fungi are known to science. So if we are so blown away by the turkey tails and the chagas and the psilocybin and the penicillin and the LSD and all the wonderful things that we've gotten from that five to ten percent, what's in that ninety percent right. that we are missing? I have chills. Yes. And so that story was like, ooh. I need to be a part of this story. This is a story that I feel really called to tell because in that 90% could be the answers to so many of our problems, our health problems, our societal problems, maybe our energy problems even. Who knows what's in that 90% 90 90 that's undiscovered, undiscovered. And what a beautiful way to give back mm. to, uh, to these organisms that have given so much to me and that truly exist on this planet to teach us about symbiosis and reciprocity and so it really helped um, be the catalyst for this paradigm shift for me when in 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 the way that I viewed healing because up until then I was like I need to heal myself I need to heal myself give me the chaga give me the turkey tail but you know at some point I had to acknowledge like okay I've reached a level of healing now and I'm so grateful and now what do I do with that healing mm. if not give back and and work to heal these and save these ecosystems that are the habitats for fungi that we are that are being encroached on daily totally and after heal everyone's like what's your next are you gonna make a heal too you know and I'm what I'm really have been called to do in the last few years is I'm, I've just always been fascinated with the macro micro and to see planet earth going through so much trauma right now and destruction and mistreatment and um, denaturing and this disconnect and knowing that planet earth is a is an organism that can heal and will heal itself if we get out of the way same as the human body learn to uh encourage the systems to work together and flourish and evolve and then remove the offending items that are putting us into a disease state or the earth into a degenerative state um so i've kind of pivoted because i feel like we can heal the planet or we can help heal the planet by stopping these destruction and degenerative um, practices and industries uh, and mindsets and then it will just regenerate itself and as a byproduct of that the human bodies will start to heal again because we will re be you know, it'll be re reconnected to nature. We've completely denature ourselves mm -hmm. through our food, through the chemicals in our environment, through the chemicals we're putting in our body from our medical, you know, um, systems. So I just love, you know, and, and like the fungi, you know, they're, it's almost like the digestive system of the earth. Like it breaks down the trees that fall in the forest or that decomposes the animal's bodies or composting or it's, um, you know, for our soil nutrients, or it's the, with the mycelium, the, the, what is it? Mycelium. mycelium thank you. Um, it's, it's like our neural network underneath the, it's just like, it's, it's such a micro macro of the human, how the human body is designed and then earth and, and fungi are a huge part of that. I'm fascinated by You're that. You're sporulated too. I'm sporulated. <laughs> and so what I'm finding is that there are lots of us out out here in the world who feel the same way that 
perhaps we just weren't aware of this story, but once it lands on us, we realize that we need to be a part of this movement. Like um, uh, Paul Stamets, who's also on the board of the Fungi Foundation, says, this is the like the revolution from the mycelium underground. Mm. And there's something exciting happening when I talk to people about fungi. Um, again, big thanks to Louis' movie, where people's eyes light up now and they want to be a part of it. And so I'm really grateful for you to give me this opportunity to come on the podcast and I know that there are going to be people listening who feel the same way as you and me and so today I want to unpack a few of the ways that you can be a part of it this is an invitation like if the mycelial network is here to teach us anything it's how to work in cooperation as a collective and get this done together yes exactly it's the opposite of individualism exactly and so uh, and so the fungi you know there might be some like Mm, like there's it, because it's been so removed from our language um, and you know we often think of fungi in a kind of a negative context where there's it's our food is molding or mm-hmm. things are rotting or there's mold in our homes and mm-hmm. you know so there's like a negative connotation or plague to it. on our crops things yes, like that mm-hmm. exactly yeah it's bad bad PR so <laughs> exactly <laughs> needs a PR campaign so and what I'm learning too is I've just become exposed to as I've I've pivoted my kind of passion and attention to the environment um, is just, you know, how we've just destroyed the health of our soils. Mm-hmm. And you're a big soil advocate. And um, and I've just become involved, you know, in, in regenerative farming movement through the farmer's footprint. And I feel like soil is something that can reach people and like, you know, you talk about composting. It's something that we can do on an individual level. So just kind of give us an, ex- like, just a background of why you are so passionate about soil, mm-hmm. your experience in Australia, oh, yeah. and and how we can kind of wake up to the fact that there are things we can do on the individual level. Um, and if we collectively do it, you know, and just change the health by 1% of the soil mm-hmm. in the world, we can completely shift the traje- trajectory of our environment. Isn't that incredible? I asked Zach Bush the other night uh, to confirm this fact with me, and that is if we increase the all the um, arable soil land of the world, all the farmable land, by less than 1% of organic matter, we can reduce greenhouse gases to pre-industrial levels. That is wild. Wild. And so, yeah, obviously the fungi play a big part of that. So um, I'll back up a little bit because some people might be like, what? did you just say Fast and Furious? Why is this actress who did a movie about cars like talking about mushrooms? Yeah, and soil. <laughs> people might not know how I got to this pivot, you know, and soil. So, um, yes, so I'm going to back up a little further than you asked me to my ancestors who are Quechua, who are the um, descendants of the Incas. So if anybody has ever appreciated the beauty of Machu Picchu, Mm. my ancestors built that. Amazing. (laughs) And they were master agriculturalists, astronomers, architects, and engineers. And I say master because they didn't go to any fancy schools, but everything they did was built out of thousands of years of observation of their landscape and the natural world. And they knew how to work with nature and not fight against her. One amazing example that I love is um, one of the so-called mysteries around Machu Picchu is like, why did they build it there? If you Have you ever visited Machu Picchu? I haven't, <gasps> but pre-Columbian civilization was my favorite class in college i'm obsessed with like mayans aztecs incas olmecs like the whole thing side note have you read 1491 
I have not. Oh, it's the book on really? the history pre-Columbus. It's okay. wonderful. Okay, amazing. So for all, everybody who's listening, um, highly recommend it if you are interested in going beyond the 500 years of history they teach at schools here right. and you want to know the 30,000 plus years of history <laughs> of this continent and indigenous peoples. So they built Machu Picchu where it is, even though it's in this like infamously hard to reach place in the middle of these like perilous mountains in, in the middle of like this wilderness they built it there because that's where the fault line is and if they're going to build a city out of stones then they'll just they why why not let nature and her like the natural tectonic movement of these plates break up these stones for you so it's less work wow. it just makes yeah, yeah, so yeah. Much logic sense. we never think about that when we put in car parks and shopping malls and buildings we never think in a logical way about if this is working with or against nature mm. and so um when it came to farming they were also brilliant farmers and my ancestral land in peru still has the terraces that the incas built and they're still being used for agriculture mm. okay and beyond just the Incas, like, you know, some of the indigenous people of the Amazon, um, not some of them, but the ancestors of all current indigenous people in the Amazon actually built the Amazon. It is a bioengineered, man-made, planted orchard. Wow. It is a food forest created by indigenous humans um, based on, like I said, thousands of years of observation of the natural world um, and this is where things get really exciting because this this goes to, you know, I heard you say like, you know, nature knows how to heal itself. And if we just step out of the way, then it, it will like recover and replenish. And I fully agree. But and, yeah, and. and we can help it happen in a faster way mm. if we move into our birthright, which is to be a keystone species in the ecosystem. And that is what indigenous people, especially in the Amazon, are here to teach us. Example. So the Amazonian soil is really like like traditionally quite poor and full of clay and not conducive to very like a lot of um, like productive agriculture or biodiversity can't really support a lot of humans. Okay, but somewhere in this in this in their studies of the soil, the soil levels, the stratas of soil, they discover that a few thousand years ago it changes from this red clay soil to this black thick moist juicy nutrient dense earth and that they call teja preta black earth and that is a man-made invention or intervention wow. okay wow, wow, wow. So this is the true definition of regenerative humans intervening in an agricultural system and leaving more biodiversity and more topsoil than where they began yes. so it blows sustainability out of the water we're talking like building back actively yes. yes so they did that and out of that like out of this um this discovery of teja preta they were able to support uh civilizations of millions and this was previously like unheard of and like unthinkable when it came to like the way uh, historians and um, even just people in the conservation movement had viewed the Amazon as this like pristine wilderness where a few indigenous people still roamed nomadically. No, we were supporting civilizations in there. And the fact that there's very little trace of them now is testament to the fact that they left no trace because they were so circular. Yeah. They weren't leaving behind trash. Right. It just, it, everything that they built or ate or, or clothed themselves with was from the forest and has gone back into the forest. 
forest. Mm. But one of the, the only silver lining with all the deforestation happening is now in certain places like in Acre, which is a state of Brazil, you can fly over this, these cattle farms, which is deforested Amazon, and you can see the earthworks that they made. And now there's all the it's the it's an archaeological hotspot in the world because people are descending on the Amazon to find out about these lost civilizations because they offer us a new blueprint for how to be human for who we're truly supposed to be. I mean, this is a time in human history where humans are building biodiversity and not destroying it. Mm-hmm. And the whole agricultural civilization story that we've been fed until now has been very Eurocentric, which is from the Romans to the Egyptians to the Greeks, Mesopotamians, all of these civilizations have come and gone and they've fallen all because of the same root cause, which is soil erosion due to deforestation and bad agricultural practices that leads to more erosion and then desertification and then hunger and then causes all kinds of sociopolitical problems, okay? Mm-hmm. Our civilization is heading down that path now. Yes. So the fact that we are being offered a blueprint for a different way to live is so exciting because, and this is why I do this work to really elevate indigenous wisdom and cosmovisions and technologies because they are offering us an alternative. No, here's a way that we can eat live, clothe ourselves, build our clothes, have all of our needs provided for without owing nature and ecological debt, actually in reverse, leaving her in a better state than when we found her. Exactly. And we've like, we are this keystone species and we've, you know, like Bravo, we've have all this amazing technology that has made our lives convenient. Um, And, but at the expense of, you know, the health of our bodies, the health of our society. So it's like now is the time we have to wake up, take what's at our fingertips of like what this amazing technology that we have. I mean, like we talk about, you know, in Heal, we're not anti-Western medicine. Western medicine has amazing diagnostic equipment to find out what's going on. Um, If there's an acute illness happening, like thank God for surgical technologies and, and all the research that we've been able to do. But in this sustainable chronic illness, issue you know it completely fails at getting to the root cause and because again it's not in alignment with how nature designed the human body um, and is completely disconnecting us from our planet which is Mm -hmm. it's the symbiotic existence and so you know I just love the work that you're doing I love you know if we can like you said activate this mycelial network of humans because we have such tremendous and we're only using you know a certain small percentage of our brain we're only aware of a certain small percentage of the power of fungi i mean the fact that there's fungi that can eat up an oil spill Mm -hmm. you know there's you talk about the indigenous people using fire as a regenerative tool Mm -hmm. so we need to now we've been kind of swept down this river of greed and industry um, at the expense of health and indigenous and BIPOC people and and our planet you know and so it's like I feel like we're at this crucial time where we need to use our brain power heart-led connected to mother nature um, you know by the work you're doing and and storytelling so that we start to make decisions that are not greed or fear Mm you know, driven and more heart and community driven. Mm. And you talk about like bringing back the food systems to the local from this global system where we made food a commodity um, and all of that. So it's just so overwhelming for me to think about what are like, 
you know, hearing, and I don't, I don't mean to vilify anybody, but just, you know, there's a very wealthy man in the world that just bought up like however many hundreds of thousands of acres of, of farmland mm -hmm. in this country. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not looking at, you know, title statements, but if people are talking about that. That's like terrifying, you mm -hmm. know? So it feels overwhelming to me. Bring us back to hope of some of the great things that are happening in regenerative farming and soil and mm -hmm. fungi. Um, and how the individual in different ways, whether you're an investor, whether you're you know, a social activist and can go to Capitol Hill, or if you are just a person who starts to compost at home. Tell us some, mm. give us some hope here. Okay, <laughs> that's a big task. So, yeah. <laughs> because things can get really depressing if that's the lens through which you're looking at the world. Um, I think the hope is that more and more of us are waking up and I think a, it's, it's so um, fascinating that your pathway into this world has been through personal healing and, and healing our personal health and me like myself included a lot of us have come to this path because we've faced some kind of chronic illness um, if it's whether it's physical or even spiritual like the rates of depression and mm. anxiety are through the roof and I truly believe that it's because everything has a spiritual cause and the fact that we remember in our cellular DNA a time before we were colonized before we were extractors and, and living so degenerately we do remember a time when we were living in harmony with the natural world and giving back more than we took that's somewhere back there in our ancestral DNA of our 300,000 your human history mm. and so something doesn't feel right when we're in this world and we like we have to buy our even if it's organic food but it comes in a plastic package that we then have to throw in the trash that we know is not going to get recycled but we lie to ourselves and there's you know there's there's hope like well, I've spent all this money on this organic broccoli but you know that like glyphosate doesn't care it's mm -hmm. everywhere you know and so Oh, you know everything I think in the western world we're starting to wake up because we're becoming sick whether physically or mm. spiritually and so we're starting to realize like these systems are not designed for us to be healthy for us to be flourishing for us to be in community they're designed to keep us sick to keep us consuming to divide us and more and more of us are waking up and joining this revolution and saying like if it's like it, why are we accepting this this as a status quo like if it's broken let's fix it and so there's some really exciting orgs doing amazing things i'll quickly touch on the work of kiss the ground because in terms of policy and policy change which is really important um they're doing some amazing things with this 2023 farm bill so um mm. please go and sign whatever petition you can in order to help them get this passed next year it's enshrining regenerative agriculture in law in legislation it is going to make it much easier for traditional farmers to transition to regenerative agriculture um i, I i'm pretty sure it's going to like uh, there's going to be a, a revision of where the subsidies go because a lot of times people say it's expensive to transition and mm -hmm. it is but only because they're making the bad practices so cheap and subsidizing the industrial agricultural ways of growing food imagine if we flip those around so I want to thank kiss the ground for that um, on a personal level everyone the one single act of regeneration that everyone can do today is composting i'm so passionate about it it's like 
uh, my friend Josh Witten, who started this amazing app called MakeSoil.org, um, it's also an app. He says uh, composting is the like a regenerative gateway drug. Yes, <laughs> like, I love it. <laughs> because once you start doing that, because that's how I first started, it didn't make sense to me. It was hurting my heart. Like, I mean, I'd grown up watching like my you know when we had a garden growing up I knew that we would compost and I had some memory of using worms and stuff but then we moved to an apartment and out of convenience I saw my mom throw food scraps in the trash and then I came here and noticed that everyone was doing that so you know sometimes you just don't question you're like oh I guess they must have some way of figuring this out down the line something that I can't see but I'm here to tell you no when you put your food scraps in the trash it goes to landfill and creates methane and that is the most harmful greenhouse gas so it's the easiest thing to do to just not put it in the trash so if you want to start composting there are some really great resources online to help you get started including on makesoil.org but if you feel like you just don't have the time and space to do that yourself the brilliance of make soil is that you can sign up to a soil site near you and that person has agreed to take and they get to choose how many people and 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 set all the um like they get to like uh set all their like um, parameters, like who, what they, what they will receive in terms of composting, when they can come, who, how many people can come. But the wonderful thing is he's like democratizing and outsourcing composting, so we don't have to. And this is no disrespect to cities like New York and San Francisco that have big trucks going around and collecting people's compost. I think that is a good start but I mean at the end of the day these trucks are still powered by fossil fuels and it's going to some big composting plant it's so much easier to just outsource it and do it ourselves Mm -hmm. you know or like outsource it to the communities rather instead of outsourcing it to some big company and 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 you get to build up relationships with the people who have the soil sites and um I've made a lot of friends uh, building soil sites around the world. Um, and if you go on the map, it just it keeps growing. And that's the goal. He's like, how do we get millions of people involved in the act of regeneration? Understanding that many of them won't have access to their own farmland because people like he who shall not be named are buying up all the farmland (laughs) and there's incredible injustice in terms of who gets access to land okay composting is the easiest way for everybody to start so that's like a little bit of hope for the personal and then maybe down the line I'll talk about what the fungi foundation are doing because that's really hopeful too yes and and the composting thing it's so great to have that subtle shift in why you're doing it because I've asked like people that kind of work in my homes uh, you know like let's, you know, let's compost, let's figure it out. And we, like, it, it, for whatever the reason, I don't stay on it and the, the plan falls apart. And I'm like, but we have a garden, like we can, we can actually use it. So it's just, it's, it might seem overwhelming to people, but just that, just to do your part to not create methane or add to the landfills. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's, and it's a huge swing because not only are you, are you reducing your negative impact, now you're actually, you know, all it making takes making soil, making soil, which, as you said, if you're contributing to re um, nutrifying and regenerating the soil systems of our world, you know, if we can just do that to one percent of the available, you know, what did you call it? The air, so, air. so if we just increase all the, all the soil organic matter on sorry, if we increase the soil organic matter on all arable, farmable land in the world by less than one percent. 
that's when we can reduce greenhouse gases, uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to pre-industrial levels. So look, like we, you know, uh, like 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, we d adopted this idea of recycling, and now we have two bins, and we have city programs, and you know, who knows how effective they are down the line. I'm hoping that they actually do the work. Um, but now we've got to introduce this third aspect of composting, and yeah. if we can get people to just adopt it as Easy, you know, as as it's just something you do. You separate your organic matter, you separate your recyclables, and you and you have your landfill matter. Like that just seems like the trifecta of what an individual can do on a daily basis. And if you don't have a garden, or if you don't have a local farm you want to drive through, or to a, a farmer's market that where you can hand over your soil, like use your friend's app, mm -hmm. which is makesoil.org. I mean, that's I love that, and I love that he. Um, I love that he calls it making soil. Josh doesn't call it composting. Yeah. And he's like, you know, we needed a rebrand because composting was like dirty and boring. And like, it was like, it was, it was You just think of like rotten bananas or yeah, something. Yeah, and people go, ew. But when you tell people actually what we're doing is making soil, now you get people excited. And I think that I also feel you on the follow through. I travel a lot. And so when I come back in my compost bin, it feels like I've just gone to step one again. Right. <laughs> I'm like, but when you do finally, it does take some tending to but once you do finally get to harvest your own soil and you look at it and you're like I made that I made that with my eggshells and my banana peels and my avocado pits and like wow now you're doing what the indigenous people of the Amazon did mm. to make the teja preta yeah. That's that with the two ingredients were composting and biochar, which is a whole nother podcast interview. But yeah, it's getting it's an exciting indigenous technology too. It's a way of using fire in a regenerative way. But yeah, this is like this is how they built the Amazon. So and like, fed what excuse ten, do we have? Ten million people sustainably for thousands of years. Yeah. And we are struggling with desertification, starvation uh -huh. in our own, you know, even town of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Um and just so yeah, there's lots of work to be done. <laughs> One more little note, a tip, just because when I say this, people really wake up to just the logic behind why I push indigenous food systems. So there are some indigenous food systems. There are some that are as old as 10,000 years in continuously in use in, in Australia. Um, there's a book called Dark Emu that talks about this, but some aquaponic systems used by in, uh, indigenous Australians there. But in the Americas, um, like for example, the Milpa forest system of in Mesoamerica, it is a continuously used indigenous built food system that has lasted eight thousand years by contrast modern food systems collapse after 400 okay this is why it's just logical that we look to them and say whoops we made a little mistake we didn't listen to you guys when we got here we were very rude guests when we came to these lands yeah would you please accept our apology and now show us the way forward mm. here's our support I love that. How do you see us getting the guys, I say guys generally, the people at the top of these corporations who are just concerned about the bottom line and don't have the spiritual intelligence or education to, to understand how profoundly important it is to reconnect with Mother Nature? I'm the wrong person to ask about that because I have very little hope for the guys at the top. <laughs> I'm just like... 
I really think it's going to have to be a real grassroots movement from the mycelial underground. Mm. But it is going to have to involve a lot of land reform because we need land to practice these, you know, regenerative systems. And um, yeah, don't even get me started on this topic. I mean, just to just to plant the seed, if anyone else wants to go do some research into how badly we need land reform in this country, the four biggest landowners in America are white men. And collectively, they own more land than every African-American person in this country. Uh, but, okay, end on the hope, there is an exciting movement. It's called the Land Back Movement, mm. where um, counties, states, um, uh, places all around America are acknowledging that it is really important for indigenous people to be rematriated onto their lands mm. also so that they can steward these and bring back some of these systems and teach us mm-hmm. the one really exciting project to look into is the Sogorea Land Trust in the Bay Area they've given back to given land back I think it's to the Ohlone tribe and it's pretty much run by this council of women and they allow other people to come on and learn but like this is this is a tribe being rematriated on their lands. I think it's just happened here in 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 um, Los Angeles, which are Tongva lands. I'm hoping to see it happen up in Ojai, where I live, on Chumash lands. And we just need to start getting this into our vernacular again. Like we are very recent and very rude guests, and it's time for us to first acknowledge the indigenous lands you were on and you can do that by looking up nativeland.net and then do some research like is are there any groups actively working to revive these systems that we so desperately need maybe i can donate maybe i can um uh, uh volunteer but um for me i think that is more hopeful that the revolution comes from us on the ground than waiting for these um ceos who make big bucks at the expense of our health and our soil health and are going to be really hard to budge unless it's for greenwashing. Mm-hmm. I know. And I think, you know, you've mentioned this before and we all see it. I, you know, a lot of people villainize, you know, there's an evil force at play and maybe there is, but I tend to think like there's just more an, an ignorant force at play and they've convinced themselves, you know, that they're helping in some twisted way, you know. It's like, it's, it's so backwards. But anyways, well, the line between the line, the line between good and evil runs through every man. Like, I don't think, yeah, I don't, I also don't believe in an evil force, but I believe that, yeah, I, I think individuals who are profiting from um, the climate crisis and from the destruction of our soils and the destruction of the last pristine wildernesses I think they must be in deep spiritual crises themselves I don't think there's a way they can go to bed believing their own lies and so I pray for their spiritual awakening and renewal I think that's the only that's the only way and lobbying I feel like there has and to be like spiritual awakening and lobbying and lobbying <laughs> changes like there's just so much you know they've just and and or or, or you know our government there's got to be a restructuring of you know, if someone's in power too long, they're just, they all of a sudden, what started out as altruism became um, jaded and self-interest, you know, and they get their pockets lined by these lobbyists for different industries, and then they're making laws Mm -hmm. based on their own personal interests. And it's like, but there's, I mean, that to me is like the, the term limits and lobbying has to be looked at 
Okay, yes, and because um, I, I always like to give, there's an indigenous answer to that. So Great. I think these rules and laws, especially around terms and term limits and lobbying, are really rooted in Eurocentric values, which are like profit above all else, mm-hmm. um, out of sight, out of mind. If it's not in my backyard, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and indigen- an indigenous value to counter that would, um, would be the seven generation principle which is um, that you don't make a decision uh, unless you have considered how it will affect the seven generations coming before you. Now consider that kind of long-term thinking and planning compared to a four-year term of a typical presidency party. They're only pitching things that they think are going to benefit people in in the space of four years because Mm -hmm. they want to get re-elected. So that also has to be looked at because... Like how, like we're enshrining short-sightedness in our political systems. So I also like don't. I also believe like you know power can really corrupt. And so yes, we need to talk about term limits, but we also need to talk about like just how we're planning for our future. You know, it's so the amount of fossil fuels that have been already extracted that are already out of the ground. Okay, we can only burn one fifth of that if we are going to stay below two degrees of warming, not even 1.5, two degrees, which is like worst case scenario. Yeah. So why are we still drilling? Yeah. It's we, like, this is the, t- this is the, such an example of short sightedness. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's why we need like to infuse not only our technologies, but our values do unto other downstream as you would have them do unto you just because it's out of sight. It is very much not out of mind. Seven generations. Seven generations. And they say when you do like, you know, healing, um, you can heal back and forward seven generations because you are changing your energetic makeup and and DNA and chemistry and, and, you know, just everything is connected, you know. Exactly. And the the agroforestry system that I was um, describing that is how the Amazon was built, an agroforestry system sometimes takes up to 30 years for completion like you start with like nothing you clear the ground with some controlled burning and then you start planting in succession every year a mixture of um climax trees and annuals and perennials and you create it's this whole beautiful system of like successional planting until in 30 years you've created a forest that will last thousands of years that's the kind of like deep time thinking we need to go back to rather than just oh what's the quickest buck I can make you know yeah and that's I'm, I'm looking at what this pandemic did and you know this divisiveness that we poured gasoline you know for lack of a better metaphor on and blew up this polarization but it's now for a, a certain population they're going whoa we need to take our power back, go back to a local community situation, grow our own food mm-hmm. so people are buying up land. And we need this like this mycelial network of earth savers to start that process of creating that for us, creating that biodiversity now yes. and and commit to it for the next, you know, their, exactly. the rest of their life. And it's not so like we can leave that gift for the future generations. Exactly. And it's not like this is some impossible task. The indigenous people have given us proof that it is possible within the realm of human history and experience. So yeah, I think I get excited about that too. 
tell me about the Shambhala Warriors. Because oh. when I listened to a podcast that you talked about, I got like full body chills and I'm like, I'm, I think I'm going to be a Shambhala Warrior. Okay, well, you are a Shambhala Warrior. <laughs> and I know that there are many Shambhala Warriors listening here. So the Shambhala Warrior Prophecy is an ancient Tibetan Buddhist prophecy that um, Joanna Macy speaks about. And I encourage everybody to listen her to her telling of it you can look it up on youtube so i'm going to give a little paraphrased version but it basically goes like this there comes a time in human history uh, or there will come a time in human history this is how the prophecy goes where the fate of humanity and the whole world hangs on by just the uh, the the frailest of threads it's, it seems like it's kind of near i feel like we're <laughs> in these times too yeah. yes okay and at this time, it's going to feel very hopeless because there are going to be some very powerful people and dark forces and powers in the world that um, accumulating these weapons of mass destruction and it's just getting darker and darker. At this time, when it feels like all hope is lost, the Shambhala warrior enters into the picture. Now, this is not a warrior that you're going to recognize because of they have like a shield or a sword or a certain insignia on their military uniform. These warriors are more incognito than that. And how they will, um, how they approach this situation is by entering into the halls of power where these decisions are being made and they will dismantle these weapons of mass destruction because they know that these weapons were made with the human mind. They are man-made. Therefore, they can be unmade with the human mind. There, it's not some supernatural force that we're fighting against. If we did it, we can undo it. Mm. And so these are like undercover warriors going into places where all the decisions are being made and they're influencing and they're unraveling and dismantling and, and building new systems and they have two weapons the first is the weapon of compassion mm. and the second weapon is the weapon of the understanding of the interconnectedness of all living beings so the compassion is the heart medicine and this understanding of inter interconnectivity is like the the mind like the mind um helping you balance out that compassion because if you just live in the compassion oof, you can get really burnt out it's very heavy stuff that we're mm -hmm. living through and so the other part reminds you that everything is interconnected we all have a role to play no matter how how small and just to see the bigger picture and that we're not alone and so i when i heard this i was like whoa this is so this so deeply resonates with me and how I, I just feel called to show up in the world, A. But B, I didn't understand the weapons of mass destruction part until about a, a year ago. I thought like, oh, I'm going to go in there and like, yeah, the weapons of mass destruction, so like nuclear arms, etc. It wasn't until a year ago that I, um, my mother told me that my, um, my grandmother was who's a rural farmer in Peru um, they were sold DDT uh, as a form of delicing their animals and were also told that um, they could use it on their children when their children got lice um, came home from school mm. with lice that they could rub it on their heads and two of my aunties died from cancer and I just put the dots together and that's when I realized oh those are the weapons of mass mm. destruction that I'm being called to dismantle 
the agrochemical industry (laughs) that those I mean we don't think about those as weapons of mass destruction but they've been unleashed upon us and so yeah that's that's why I do this work with the soil and the lobbying and the advocacy and the fungi because um at the end of the day it's all part of this like fight against this industrial um chemical complex Mm -hmm. that controls what we eat what we put on our bodies Mm -hmm. and it's personal now and we're seeing this i mean we in the toxic chemical spills that are randomly and weirdly happening all over this country and you know the byproduct of the the train derailment and this like foss gene or something whatever it was called that was it was literally like a weapon chemical weapon that they used in world in in world war ii and we also found like Agent Orange, which kind of became chemo, right? Like the chemical destruction we are um, inflicting on ourselves is is the biggest weapon of mass destruction, and it's why cancer is. I mean, I can't go when I started making heal however many years ago, six, seven, eight years ago, like five, when was it? Um, you know, I, I literally was like, I, a week, you know, every week goes by or every month goes by that someone I know, I hear someone getting cancer. Now it's like the amount of health issues that I'm seeing is is just devastating. And it's just, so all of that to say, um, I have that, that the, the, the prophecy of the Shambhala warrior and looking at you and the work you're doing Literally, besides the fact that my favorite jeweler is Shambhala, I have like four different Shambhala bracelets. It's like it's, and I've been wearing them for like ten years. Um, so it's it just, and I just was drawn to this company. They make beautiful jewelry, um, but this is just like that's the hopeful, you know, like the people that have been personally affected. The work you're doing about bringing these ancient, indigenous technologies and wisdom and you know they are cultures that are heart driven and they have that combination of connectivity and compassion you know and that's what we need to reintroduce into this modern society that is just literally a toxic train derailed well thankfully we have the fungi to help us heal all this toxic waste i mean this is part of why i feel so drawn to the work of the foundation because We've released all these toxins out into, we've unleashed them onto our populations, our waters. I mean, they're everywhere now. Mm-hmm. And so my only hope is that fungi be having such a voracious and wide appetite. They'll eat up plastic. Like you said, they'll eat up oil spills, even nuclear waste. You know, I think that's the future is that we have to start working with these fungi now and really putting serious money into the research behind microremediation. That's our only hope of like decomposing and moving through this like toxic era that I hope our, our future um, the, 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 the generations that come after us will look back at us and like, you know, like remember us with, 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 uh, disgust, like what a toxic, <laughs> like what a toxic time in human history. Thank God the fungi came in after that to clean, clean that all up and to teach us never to do that again. Um, but I would really love to just end on this piece around yes. the work of the fungi foundation, because I really appreciate the fact that, um, you put so much emphasis on this interview on like what we can do, what we can do back home. And I feel like 
this supporting the foundation is something that is going to leave a legacy for future generations because they are the only um well when they started they were the only ngo dedicated to uh, mushroom fungi conservation in the world can you imagine the plants and the animals just having one ngo right. looking out for all the species and fungi is a massive kingdom that's even bigger than <laughs> right? and we're only we only know the powers and the incredible powers and intelligence of five to ten percent exactly now imagine that there's just one ngo looking out for the preservation of biodiversity of plants or animals and imagine that their budget is under five hundred thousand dollars a year I mean, that is shameful. Mm -hmm. And I say this because I, I kind of want people to know how important it is that we show up in that way. Um, I'm going to quickly touch on some of the work that they're doing, they're doing that's amazing. So we can't even... Um, there's not even enough data to show how many fungi species are going extinct because it is such a under like researched mm -hmm. part of of science. So they're putting a lot of work into collecting that data, and then from that data they can identify the specific species that are at risk, and they have successfully put one of these species on the red list. This is exciting because once you get on the UN's red list, it means you can protect that whole habitat from extractive industries from construction mm. from any kind of any kind of like um, destruction or deforestation and one of the biggest threats that fungi are facing is the fact that their habitats are under under threat from logging etc because their habitats are old growth forests okay so with this precedent setting move of protecting this uh, fungi putting it on the red list now we can this is just setting the domino chain you know starting that domino effect of like finding other species and being able to go around all the whole world to old growth forests all around the world and wherever we find fungi habitats and say sorry you can't come in here you can't cut down these trees because we've got an endangered fungi here and we don't want to lose that to humanity mm -hmm. and so there's that part there's the conservation part juliana has also managed to get the rights of fungi enshrined in law in chile which is the first country in the world to recognize flora fungi flora fauna and fungi in the environmental protection laws we're hoping to that also um, starts a domino effect around the world next we're creating a fungal based curriculum so that it's accessible to anybody for free all around the world in partnership with louis schwartzberg and fantastic fungi but this is because we're going to need citizen scientists to be going out there and to be documenting and and cataloging um and so it's it's not right that children in school don't learn about fungi next to plants and animals so we're hoping to change that and then lastly we have the expedition piece where we go out to discover new species of fungi which juliana discovers every time she goes out there and that goes back to a fungarium where they have currently preserved I think over 2,000 species and this is going to be like the Noah's Ark mm. if things get really bad and we start losing these habitats and losing all these species at faster rates this fungarium could be our only hope to save these species for future generations so talk about doing the seven generation work you know there could be some some moment in the future where all of our energy needs are provided for by fungi totally and, uh, and somebody's going to say 
thank God those people donated to the Fungi Foundation. Right. <laughs> and became monthly donors in order to, to support this work yeah. because that fungi could have been lost forever. We were at the brink of losing it, except this amazing org came in and saved it for future generations. And now we've created some new energy source out of it. And that's not far from the truth because um, Otzi, the Iceman mummy, was um, when he was, uh, yeah, he's oh, yeah. 10,000 years old. Okay, so he was dethawed in Switzerland and he had he had a little medicine pouch on him very stylish and he had two <laughs> mushrooms in his pouch one of them was to treat parasites and when they did his autopsy they found he did have intestinal worms so he was savvy he was like he was on a detox yeah <laughs> he was collecting this medicine to detox and he had this other mushroom that was used for kindling so you didn't have to like imagine in the ancient world when you built your own fires to not have to start again and to be able to take embers from one fire on this fungi kindling to be able to start your next that would have been like miraculous mm. and so if there's a fungi that can be used for kindling and for like i i i'm I'm convinced there's got to be one that can replace fossil fuels. Totally. You know? Absolutely. So this is why the work is so important because of what we don't know. And uh, if anyone has felt spirulated by this chat, um, you can go onto every.org and sign up to give $5, 10 $20 a month to the org. And a big chunk of our um, of our budget comes from the mycelium revolution of just people out there who feel called to support. So we you can donate at every.org. That's a way to be a monthly donor or make a one time donation at the fungi foundation all tax deductible yes it sounds like an unlikely cause to get behind because we are so uninformed and that's why i love the work that you're doing i love the passion that you have behind it and i just it, it resonates so much with me as a fellow shambhala warrior um self-proclaimed because <laughs> you know i've always said like the intelligence of nature is far beyond i mean you know it's like whether you're religious or you know the flowers are toiling and like the, nature we've evolved for billions of years you know far before humans were ever here but now we have this species us humans who can take what nature teaches us and then go one level higher where we can create the say the word in 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 Teja yeah, preta. Um, to, to create this like Amazon jungle and, and rich ecosystem and, and biodiversity. So we're at this point where we've learned so much from our mistakes, yet there's so much hope that we can do on an individual level. And if it, like like um, Nat said, if you're if you're sporulated by this talk, you know, watch Fantastic Fungi if you haven't, or if you have a, you know, watch it again. Um, the Kiss the Ground. Seed, I think. Seed's a brilliant movie. Seed. And these three just will get your, it'll just call that fire within you that we need to take action now. Yeah. We need to start creating our own rich um, Amazon and, and forest, uh, which starts now and is going to last the next 30 years and, and, and give this gift to our future generations. Because if we are complacent, if we are apathetic, um, we are a major part of the problem. So find what you're passionate about um, as, you know, we're all going to get our, our corner of, of this, this movement and, and contribute. Um, if you're an activist, you know, get involved in policy. And if you're an investor, you know, invest in these technologies or yes. farms and um, donor, donate to 
things like the Farmer's Footprint or um, the Fungi Foundation. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much because you you've, you've taught me so much. Yeah. And you're, you humbly said, I'm, you know, I, I love that you think I'm an expert. I mean, your knowledge is vast <laughs> and I just really appreciate you sharing it here today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Heal Podcast. Be sure to tune in for more empowering wisdom and inspiring healing stories. Oh, and make sure you hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answer you've been searching for. And if you feel inspired, we would love you to rate and review us so that we have the opportunity to reach more people. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram for some behind the scenes fun and more inspiration at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gorris. Thank you so much and be well. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.